From Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. We kick off season three of the show by welcoming our newest team member to Migration Media, Michelle Abara. Her show, Pop Abroad, explores the keys to finding success and living your best life overseas. The show's first season explores the importance of community in our lives and how successful people have built theirs. As you'll hear in our interview, her own desire for community led her to the organization Girl Gone International, where she's thrived as the Shanghai-based community manager for APAC and Oceana. Along the way, she's had stints in Argentina, South Korea, and Europe, and now says that she might be ready for some time back in the U.S., but I'm not so sure if I believe her. Since I'm working with her on her podcast, I'm a little biased, but I think that her call to live overseas hasn't quite expired yet. Frankly, she's just too good at building communities to go back. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I've got a really exciting group of people who are waiting to share their stories with you over the next few months, and it all starts right now. So sit back and relax and enjoy my conversation with Michelle Ibarra. Michelle Ibarra, welcome to Migratory Patterns. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's nice to be here. Where is home? Currently... Home is China, but uh, I grew up and I was raised in in San Diego, California. San Diego. How did you get from San Diego to China? Well, uh, that's a long story, but... Thankfully, (laughs) this is a podcast. I was going to say, I don't know if you want to spend six hours talking about my journey, but China, but right before China, I was living in Europe and I was working with a a woman's community there. And when I moved back to Asia, I was like, you know what? I think this time in Asia, I'm going to move to China. I was planning to move back to South Korea because that was where I was before. But I said, no, I'm going to try something new. And I decided on China. And I'm very glad I did. Okay. Very glad. We've skipped over a whole bunch of steps, and now I'm yeah. now I'm fascinated and intrigued. <laughs> there was Europe, there was Korea, there was like okay. Yeah. Let's start. It's in very Sa- long. Let's, it's like, like I said. Let's start in San Diego. You're okay. in San Diego. You're walking around, and you say, "I want to move to blank." Right. I was in San Diego, and I was walking around, and I was like, "I'm a student, and I wanted to live abroad," and I decided on Argentina. So I moved to Buenos Aires, Argentina. I was there for six months. This is college? This is college. This is my last year of college. And then I moved back to California. And I was like, this place is not a good place for job searching right now. It was like right right in the midst of the crash, 2009. So I talked to a few people and they said, you know what? Go abroad again or and, and this time teach. And, and I went to South Korea and they paid for my flight. They paid for everything. It was It was an amazing experience. I worked at a school. I lived in the same building as my school. They took really good care of me. I was there for two years. After the first year, I decided, I'm like, you know what? I think I'll do one more year in Korea, and I'm going to do something else. So I wanted to move to Europe, and I found this woman's community online called Girl Gone International. And I talked to the founder, and she said, yeah, come. You know, come to Europe. Help me with the magazine. Help me with the community. So I went over there, and I was there for a few months. I was in Amsterdam. I was in Barcelona. I traveled a lot. And then when I decided to leave Europe and move back to Asia, I decided on China versus South Korea, like I mentioned before. One of my friends from college was here in Shanghai, and he he was on Instagram, and I was like, wow, this China looks cool. Of course, that was like the first real experience I had with China because, you know, there's not a lot of China being portrayed in the U.S. media in a, in a bright light, you know, in a good way. So when I saw his Instagram, I was like, oh, 
China looks quite cool, looks different. So I said, you know what, never mind Korea, I'm going to make the move to China. And I came to Shanghai. And that was in 2014. So when you when you got that inkling to move to Argentina, this is back in college, do you have any idea where that kind of came from? Did you ever think about living overseas before? No, not at all. I, I was one of those kids, those California kids that had no clue what was outside of California. I hadn't been to, I still haven't been to the East Coast. It's pretty nice. Yeah. I am going to New York finally, so I'm looking forward to that. Not so nice, but okay. <laughs> I'm a little biased. Yeah, yeah. I was like going to say you're a Bostonian. Gotcha. So I, I was a California kid. I hadn't really traveled much besides San Francisco, LA. And I think when I was in college, and I was pre-med for a while. And then when I switched master or when I switched um, to a different degree, I finally had the opportunity. I finally could study abroad. So I talked to my counselor, I think it was, or the international counselor. And she was like, you should go to Argentina. You know, you have a, you know, you're Mexican-American, you speak Spanish. It would be really good. It would be easy for you to go and just learn some Argentinian Spanish and study and, you know. Argentinian Spanish. It's totally different. Wow. It's 100% different than Mexican Spanish or Spain Spanish. Is it like the difference between British English and American English, or is it even more different? What they say, what the Argentines say, is that it's it's not Espanol, it's not Spanish, it's Castellano. It's uh. Castilian. So it's completely different. The verbs are different. The way the pronouns are different, everything. It's it's. The base is still there, but they have a completely different vocabulary. Sounds like maybe a difference between French and Quebecois. Like they, the, the, it's like the yeah. old, old French yes. is Quebecois yes. and then French is like the new French and they, you know, they, they sometimes came and understand each other. Yeah. I would say that's how it was. It was, I was relearning Spanish completely. It was a different, and I, I honestly, it, I prefer it. And I'm good with the Mexicans. My my family's gonna hate me for saying this, and I'm sorry, Mexico. But I actually do prefer Castellano. I prefer Argentine Spanish. I don't know. I just liked it. It had like a, I don't know. It kind of sounded like Italian and Spanish Maybe mixed a together. More romantic. Well, Argentines. They a lot of the people in Argentina. They're from Italy. Like I think ninety percent descent European. You know, it's it's a big percentage, and everybody's last name is Italian. Like they don't have, they're not, they don't consider themselves Spanish. They consider themselves Italians. Oh, wow. So if you tell them, you know, where, where your grandparents are, where your parents are, they're like, we're not, we're not Latin American. We're, we're Italian. That's what they say. They, they associate much more with Europe than they do with Latin America. They don't consider themselves a part of South America. So after you do Argentina and you learn the new crazy Spanish, you go back to the U.S. Now, did that kind of whet your appetite and you think, I want to look for another opportunity to move overseas? Or is it when you got home, there was no opportunity? And because you had moved overseas, you were like, oh, I can go do that. It was both. It was both. I got home and I was I was sad. I, was, I missed being a fish out of water. I missed the opportunity to learn something new and be around new people. And when I went back home, I just, I went back into the routine of, seeing the same people and friends from high school, friends from college. And I, I didn't feel like I was growing. I didn't feel like I was adulting at all. And, you know, I had some jobs, some part-time jobs, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't what I wanted. I wasn't happy. So I decided. I don't think there were a lot of college grads who were very happy back in those days in America. They are, they were? No, they were not. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was a good time for us. It wasn't a good time for, if you were graduating in 2009, 2010, it wasn't, you moved back to the States or you were in the States. It wasn't, it wasn't easy to find a job. Yeah. So a lot of baristas with PhDs and masters. Exactly. Yeah. I was very lucky. I, I moved here in August of 2008, literally a month before the crash. And I had quit my job and everything. And, and it turned out after the crash, within a few months, the company I'd worked for had done massive layoffs. They moved to a different office and a lot of people couldn't follow the move. And I probably would have lost my job anyways if I had I stayed. It was, it was kind of amazing. It was how perfect that timing. Out. Yeah, it really was. So uh, after, then you go to South Korea and you did the teaching thing. Was mm-hmm. that what your degree was in? Or did you, was that your pathway to go? I ended up receiving my bachelor's in history. Which now looking back was a stupid, stupid decision. <laughs> but I, I had my degree in history. And I, like I said, I was talking to my guidance counselor or a teacher or somebody. And they said, go teach abroad. And I said, where? And they said, and she was Chinese and she said, China. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that sounds terrible. And, and then I talked to, I think I just did some research online and I was like, oh, South Korea, they pay for your flight. Like they pay for you to go work over there. And I said, okay, this is, I'll do this. It was still a very long process. It was much more work than it was to move to China. The whole application and getting everything apostilled and sending it to the U.S. government and the documentation was never ending. But I did it. It took me a few months, but I did it and I moved to South Korea. And then I started teaching there. How did you How did you enjoy that experience? It was eye-opening. Talk about a fish out of water. It was exact it was the most fish out of water experience I think I've ever had because I was the only foreigner at my school. I was the only foreigner in my neighborhood. I had I went over there, I had no friends, I didn't know a single person, and I didn't know the language. And luckily Koreans are the nicest people. They are so warm and they're so helpful and they're so kind. And my coworkers, I mean, they just completely took me under their wing and you know they took me to the costco and they took me to get my phone and they just they took really good care of me my first few weeks there and i think i went on meetup.com and i found some local communities and i got involved with them i think it was like internations or you know one of those global communities and i got involved with them and i started going to events and then that's when i started to meet other expats so is this desire to find community or the, the the lack of community when you arrived is this what's kind of driven you to get involved with girl gun international yeah absolutely when when you're living abroad and you're a woman and you're alone especially in your neighborhood you and you you need to connect you want to connect with somebody anybody who's similar to you just just so you can go spend time with them so you can go eat with them so you can go hang out some you want you need friends and my first friend in Seoul was, fortunately, she was one of my friends in California. And she moved to Seoul, and she just happened to live two blocks away from me. So her and I started to become, we became really good friends that year. And then I think after she left, I had to branch out more. And that's when I started to get involved with communities a lot and made a lot of friends through communities and then, you know, have helped to support and develop a community in Asia since then. Yeah, which is actually how I met you, but it's not quite that simple. No one introduced me to you. There's a funny story. I got put into a group chat by someone who's mutual friends because I got connected with them somehow. If you're in WeChat, 
there's a way to interface with the group chat to change your name and to change your nationality. And I clicked through to that screen and I accidentally double clicked. And and that second click was actually on your face in the, cause the list of people who are in the group comes up. Mm -hmm. And for some reason you were just where my thumb was and I clicked and your name and it popped up and it said manager girl GGI. I'm like, what the hell is GGI? And I looked at it. I looked it up and I said, this is a global community of women who live overseas. This is, this is like, this is my audience. These are the people I want to talk to. I need to get to know this woman. And here we are. And here we are because you have a show on migration media. What's it called? Pop Abroad. Pop Abroad, which I am so excited about. And me too, me too. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your work building community. But before we get into it, let's take a break. Let's take a breath, drink some water because we're thirsty, and we'll come right back. Let's drink some water. <laughs> hey, everyone. If you like the kinds of conversations that we have here on Migratory Patterns, you should check out Pop Abroad. Host Michelle Ibarra is on a mission to help expats and migrants live their best lives overseas by talking with the people who are doing it right now. During her first season, she's talking about community, why we need it, how we can use it to get a leg up, and how the best community leaders make theirs work. Listen in as she interviews the incredible women who are killing it overseas to hear how they are creating community in their adopted homes. You can learn more and hear the latest episode at migrationmedia.net or just search for Pop Abroad wherever you get your podcasts. So we were talking about Girl Gone International and GGI and the work you do in that community. So tell me a little bit about how you manage this community in Asia. What does that mean? Oh, gosh. This is a long story. This is two long stories back to back. I actually, yeah, I want a second long story to go with that. Tell me what is GGI and then tell me how you run the ship. GGI, Girl Gone International, is a global community for women who travel. We are currently in about 150-ish cities globally, and hypothetically, let's say you move to Tokyo, a a woman moves to Seoul, she moves to Paris, New York City, there will be a community there for that woman to connect with, uh, to meet online as well as offline. There will be a community manager in each city, and that community manager will host offline events so that you can connect with other women in a chill environment. It's like, you know, cocktail nights and girls nights and brunches and really relaxed, low-key events and informal events so that women, you know, they feel comfortable. Because it's not easy to be a woman in a new city already. And then you tack on not having any friends. So you want to go into an event and you want to feel comfortable. And that's what GGI is. It provides that comfort away from home. It's cool. You guys do all sorts of events. I've seen since we've been connected. I've seen you post about events. They and I look, get really jealous. <laughs> Those look like so much fun. We I, like to challenge ourselves. I <laughs> I'm a big like I've been event planning for GGI and just in general for years and years and years now. So I always challenge my team. I'm like they come up with ideas for events. I'm like, but I think we should do this. We can we can level it up a little bit, and we do. We just had a really good event, a cocktail crawl, where we actually went to a few cocktail bars. And I mean, logistically, it was a nightmare, but we made it. We made it happen. That's some fun stuff. So, you, uh, how do you manage the communities? You're the community manager. How does that work? So, I support Asia, and since I moved back to Asia, China, a few years ago, I think at the time there was five or six cities. Seoul was the first one, and then Shanghai, and then Bangkok, Singapore. Those were the first big cities, and. To manage them, I basically, women found me, actually. 
I didn't really go out and I didn't search for women to become community managers. They they moved to a new city. They somehow we got connected, kind of like how you and I might got connected, just maybe online somehow through friends of friends. And they said, oh, you know, there's no women's community here. Can I start one? And I support them. I'll, you know, set them up on Facebook. I'll give them, we have a handbook. I'll help them run, organize their first event. And, and what else? I guess that's probably outside of China. Within China, it's all on WeChat. So I support all the new managers, all the new cities. So we have about 30-ish cities right now in Asia and Oceania. And my role primarily is to just support the new cities, help them expand. And, and, and it's not easy to be a community manager. You have It's hard to manage a big group of people, especially if you're starting off online. Uh, and that is exactly why for GGI, we have offline events because it's just so much nicer to connect face-to-face. Yeah, virtual communities are all well and good, but they're kind of theoretical. Yeah. Even even when you're in the middle of connecting with someone online, it's very theoretical. But if you can connect with someone in person, it's very powerful. Exactly. Especially if you're new to a country, you don't know anybody, to actually feel like there's a group of people there welcoming you and exactly. inviting you to participate in everything. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's exactly why we the the main focus and ethos of GGI is to have those offline events, the consistency. I think that's why we've grown to 150 cities in seven-ish years, seven, eight years, because we have those monthly events. Yeah, that's awesome. And like I said before, I, I, I really admire your work and what you're doing in the community. And that's when we got talking, this idea of you doing a podcast came up. So let's talk a little about your podcast, Pop Abroad. What is the focus of this podcast? It's to also connect people who have travel, who have travel or want to live abroad. Because I think we all were at that place at one point in our lives where we wanted to move abroad, but we were terrified to do it. And it can be overwhelming to move it's abroad. Scary. It's, it's, it's very, especially if you're alone, especially if you're a woman and you've never done it before and you don't know the language, especially a place like China or, you know, the Middle East or somewhere where you're like, I don't know this language and this language is impossible to learn, especially as the older you get languages, they don't get any easier. They get more difficult to learn. So I think Pop Abroad will be to kind of bridge that gap. So when people listen to my podcast, they're going to be able to learn about, you know, communities and women and how they've started their lives abroad because it's it's not easy. So who are the people you'll be talking to? So for my first season, I'm talking to community managers, community leaders. People who do the kind of thing that you do. Yeah, exactly. People like me who who run, manage, support large communities so that the people that listen, my listeners, can find the communities abroad that can help them feel at home wherever they go so that they know when they move abroad, there will be a community there for you. I think that's the big thing. The scariest part of moving abroad is not knowing anyone. So if you know, okay, I'm moving to Tokyo and I there's a fitness community there in my neighborhood, I'm going to connect with them. So that's what I want to do. I want to highlight all these great communities that exist, and there are thousands of them. So I want to highlight these communities and these community leaders so that people can connect with them and people can, you know, find a sense of belonging wherever they go. Now, when you're, that's fantastic. And and I, I'm thrilled that Pop Abroad is part of Migration Media because the mission of Migration Media is, of course, to help people in these disparate communities start connecting and realizing they're part of a broader community. So exactly. if you're moving to Tokyo and you find this fitness group, that's great. But 
aren't there other communities in other cities that are very similar? And all of a sudden it becomes possible. I could move there. I could move there. I'm part of something bigger than just this little community here. I think it's very empowering and I'm, I'm super excited to hear your interviews. I haven't heard any yet and I'm, <laughs> and, I'm and I can't wait because the show comes out very soon and I really want to hear them. So, um, I want to ask you as a community manager, when you have people, new people coming in, are they, hard to assimilate? Do you find the assimilation process is harder or do you find it that it's harder to manage people once they feel comfortable? For GGI and just being a community manager in general, I, the first thing that I like to do is to meet them in person or talk to them because I feel like once you talk to someone and you get that sense of who they are, their background and kind of their strengths, it's much easier to manage them. So the first thing I do when some a girl approaches me and they're like, I want to join the community. I want to be a leader. I want to be a manager. I want to get involved. I say, well, what do you like? Because I used to, I think I used to say like, oh, we, we need this. We need a fitness manager or we need a manager in Beijing. But now I'm like, okay, well, what do you like? Because I think if you play to people's strengths, they'll they'll be that much more inclined to want to stay involved. Because it is, especially if it's voluntary, I mean, some people want to be pushed out of their comfort zone and they want to do things. You know, one of my managers here in Shanghai, she's going to be speaking on behalf of GGI at a big uh, Jewish community event. Hundreds of people, Jewish people from all over China are coming to Shanghai for this conference. And I and I asked her, do you want to speak on behalf of GGI? And I was kind of hesitant at first because, you know, I was like, is she, does she feel comfortable with it? But I know her now and I know that she's a person that is ex- accepting and enjoys challenges so now i was like well who on my team would do well and who could do this and who would be up for it and i knew it would be sharice and she is and she is she's doing it this weekend so I'm, i'm happy for her while other community managers i think you know they know that they're like, oh, you know, I'm not tech savvy. So they, they tell me right away and, and I and I facilitate as much as I can. It's not easy because sometimes girls are like, well, I don't know what I want to do. I just want to get involved. And sometimes it takes me waiting and talking to them and getting to know them. But the second I, I meet them in person or I talk to them on, on the phone, I realize like this person is going to be really good at social media. This person is going to be really good at hosting, organizing. This person is going to be great at public speaking. And I kind of hone in on their strengths and then I push them in that direction. As you've been managing these communities, have you started to learn more about or have you gained any insights about what people need? So like when some when we say people need community, what do you think that means? They need friends. They need someone to talk to and relate to because I think when we're tra- when we're traveling, when we're living abroad, we don't realize like we're going to miss our families or we're going to miss our the food from home or we're going to miss all these things. And I think having someone to commiserate with, to talk to about these things, I think you, you feel such a sense of comfort and you know you can turn to them for, you know, maybe things or topics that you don't feel, you wouldn't feel comfortable talking to you know, your coworkers about, but you know that, okay, I met this one friend at this one community event and I know that I can talk to her about, you know, business or, you know, my homesickness and that she'll be there for you in that way. Do you feel homesick? Sometimes. some There is definitely moments where, you know, I miss my family or I miss hot Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something to miss. <laughs> it is. It's, I mean, I don't know why that... 
Hot Cheetos are so big in the States, but they are not big anywhere else. Every time I go home, I, I load up on them. They're so bad for you though, but uh, I do love them. So there's things, there's days where I miss my nieces, my nephews, and 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 a lot a lot of my family. A lot of the time it's food and family. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Those are the two things that, that make me homesick. So you've, we've talked a little bit before we got on the mic here, and you've mentioned that you'll probably cycle home after another year or so. Yeah, the plan is to, I do want to move back to California. Uh, I do feel like I'm missing a lot of my nieces and my nephews growing up. They're all, they're all pretty young teens, some teenagers, some, uh, my niece right now is five and I kind of want to be, I want to be a part of their life, but I also feel it's a good time to move back to the States. Um, some of my friends have told me, you know, the mark, the job market's good and you know, you're marketable now and you should do this and you should do that. And I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. And I also want to spend some time with my mom and buy some real estate and just, I have some plans and some ideas to, of things that I could do when I'm in California. So I think next year would be a good time. 2020, 2020. California 2020. <laughs> so this is, uh, you're actually the first person I've spoken to in all my interviews who actually has a definitive plan to move back to where they, from whence they came. Mm. And I'm interested by this mindset, not because I disagree with it, but so much, but I guess maybe because it's foreign to me because my mindset has been, well, I mean, you know, I'll be out Fuck here. the U.S. <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Uh, I take that back. <laughs> no, no, no. That, 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 people can feel that way, and that's fair. But but the, the way I've thought about it, and when I moved overseas, it was the same thing. It was like, well, I guess I'm just going, and I'll just – this is just what I'm doing now. And I've never thought about a set time of moving back, and I say over and over again, I can't imagine moving back now, but I'm open to the possibility, but I just don't see it. It's interesting – that you have this plan, especially after you've been overseas to so many places and for so long. When did you start to think about going back? Last summer. I was home in California last summer and I had an absolute blast. And granted, I was on vacation for two months and I just had a bunch of money to spend and I had no priorities. Being a teacher has its benefits. Yeah, it's great. It's a great life being a teacher. So I was home and I had such a good time. And when I got back to China, I was so sad. I really missed my family. I missed my friends. I missed the weather. And when I got back, I, I was I was I was the most homesick I think I've ever been in my ten years abroad, living abroad. And it was I was like maybe I'll you know I'll, I'll look into moving home. And I decided okay, summer twenty twenty that gives me two more solid years of living abroad, and then I'm gonna go home for a bit, or I'm gonna go back to California. And I mean, even now I think oh I'm gonna go back to California. But I might move again. There's a good chance that I'll be there for two years and I'll be like, oh, I'm sick of this place. Because I think that's the mindset that most people that live abroad ha have. We live abroad and we're like, oh, it's great and it's fantastic. And then we live somewhere for three or four years and then we're like, okay, well, what's next? What's the new challenge? I think that's what it is. It's for me, it's I want a new challenge and I think I'm ready for the California challenge. And if that doesn't go perfect or it doesn't go as well as I hope or, you know, I start to get the itchy feet or whatever you want to call it, then I'll move abroad again. And I am fortunate enough to have that opportunity and that, you know, that option. Yeah. My experience has been when I, when I've met people, 
there's kind of several stages of expat. This is what has been basically there was a guy who I sat down with. I was just starting my second year and he was a guy he's been here since 89 on and off. And in China. Yes. Wow. Yeah. He was, he was, I have some of the, we call them lifers. Lifers. You're a lifer. I've called it lifer as well. It sounds like a sentence and it kind of is, but he was one of those lifers and he sat down and he told me that there's like three stages of expats. First stage is year one. You go home for your first visit after you've been away for a year and you see that life has moved on without you. Things have happened. Your friends, you've grown apart a little bit. You probably don't talk as much. People maybe have gotten married. Girlfriends have broken up with their boyfriends, vice versa. And you realize you've missed out and uh, you can't handle that. And then you quit. He actually used the word quit. Uh, the next phase is year three. What happens in year three is Everything is de-romanticized. So you've learned enough of the language to understand that the people in the country you're in are just as stupid as the people in your home country. It's not all glamour and intrigue and isn't that adorable. The mystery is gone. The mystery is gone. Honeymoon is, is over. I know. This is kind of like, I guess, relationship stuff. So, yeah. so I see and, the parallels. Yes. And then people will just kind of be like, all right, I'm out of here. Those are usually the same. That, 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 that's usually the same time frame as people who are running from something. Like the people who are moving to try to change their situation and that'll make things better within the earth within the third year the reality strikes that you know, it's not the situation dude it's you you know that that is the same time frame for those people then it's year five year five you have professionalized you've if you're just a fly-by-night teaching english type person that's cool but by year five you are done with that you're not, if there's no progress, if there's no forward progress, if you haven't settled on a career or some kind of professional development track, by year five, you're just going to give up and go because there's no opportunity for you. If you make it past year five, you you could be forever. And I got to say, I've talked to people, most of the people I've talked to who have this kind of clear notion about going back, especially like you've had it for two years, has been people in that, you know, year one to five window. Yes. Yes, it's going to be year five. No, it is year five in China. I've year been five here in for China, five years. but ten years overseas. Yes, different places too. Yeah, different places. Yeah, China has been the longest though. China's China. I will always love China, and I will and I will come back to China. I know that. I don't know what for. Maybe a little business. Maybe a little import export. Who knows? But I will be back because I do love China, and I, I think there's so much opportunity here. That you also know it. Yeah, I know it, it. I know it more than I know, you know, the U.S. Now, I don't. I don't really know what's going on. That's why I think, like you said, I'm in that. I need a new challenge, and I want to transition out of teaching. So, hey, you know what? I'm going to try California. The weather is so much better. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. You could just move to Hainan if you want nice weather. For God's sake, no, no humidity. Thank you. I, I don't <laughs> like. Hum- I'm over humidity. Yeah, yeah. I'll be down in Bali, so I'm gonna be sweating like crazy (laughs) no i don't know we'll see i I did look at the middle east i'm open i'm open that's the thing i i'm willing to go somewhere else even instead of california i just i already told a few friends and i already told my family or i told my mom and she was ecstatic she is ready she's like oh finally you're coming home for a bit so i said okay and i really want to get a dog i'm really but i just i just don't think it's nice to have a, a big dog in a small apartment so yeah we felt that way too my wife and i now i want to um 
tack on a little bit something, we're kind of leaving something out of this whole you moving back to California scenario, which is you're not just you when you move back. You are you and your partner. Exactly. So, and he is not American. <laughs> he is certainly not. So uh, so I, I want to kind of split this into two parts. So the first part is when did you meet your partner? And uh, it's this partner is a fellow expat, right? Correct. Okay. So how does that relationship evolution look like? Like, how do you meet? How does that... I mean, do you have... You want a, our love story? I'm, well, look... So, Another so, long story. So, so, so my... So, I, my story is actually I met the woman who is now my wife before I left the U.S. Okay. So, you know, yes, we got together overseas, but we had met before. And uh, so I'm a little bit curious about how that expat meeting and getting together scenario works. I've never like, how do you negotiate that terrain? You're both from different countries. You're living in a third country. Is that a common ground you meet with? Negotiation is the right word. Yeah. And I think... I want to move back to California, or I want to move to California. And and where is your partner my partner's from? from Ireland. He's Irish. Would that be too much sun for him? Yeah, I think so. Being of good Irish stock myself, let me just say, I'm glad I grew up in cloudy New England. Yeah, no, he's not. He likes California, and I think the big worry for him is is visa. Is you know, obviously, it's not that easy for expats or you know foreigners to get visas to live in the u.s so i think that's the thing he's worried about i told him you're a white man i don't think getting a job will be too difficult for you and he has a lot of skills and i don't think it would i think the job part is the easy part i think the visa part will be the difficult so um we have a plan as an event planner and as a planner in general i we have a plan so we know we we know what we're going to do, and we know how it will work. That was actually going to be the second half. So I kind of what want, is my plan? <laughs> well, well, no. So, so basically, there's a whole nego- like you said, negotiation is the right word. There's a whole kind of negotiating process, I guess, when you meet someone overseas exactly. who is also a foreigner, like you. you have this common ground that yes. you're both foreigners, right? Yes. That's great. But then they come from you come from different cultures. Yes. Almost a lot of so many relationships overseas are bicultural. Yes. Or multicultural and. You can resolve that, but then you've got to move it to another place, which could be your home culture, could be their home culture, exactly. could, you know? So yeah. I'm kind of wondering how you negotiate that whole thing. Well, he knows he, we have a business together, so we know how business goes and we know our strengths and we know that we can make a business work wherever we go. And right now, given the time, the things that are going on in California, he knows, I know that it's a good time to have a business in California. And so we're going to start a business together. That's the plan. And it's just timing. Because the thing is, if we saw a golden opportunity in Ireland, we would go to Ireland. That's that's without a doubt. I, I, I'm open to living in Ireland. I'm open to living in Italy. I'm open to living in a lot of countries in you know, South Africa. But it's really you know, the opportunity. And so I see California and I see this, I just, I see a lot of room for expansion and growth as a woman in business, as a woman podcaster, as a community manager. And I want to use those skills in there because I think it's, it's necessary right now. I think it, there's a, there's a window and he does too. So once we negotiated that, Hey, you know, the California marketplace, that's where it's at. And we said, okay, well, let's make it happen. And that's why, you know, we're not leaving tomorrow. We're leaving summer 2020. That's it's the plan. I, I like how when you were talking about 
you said if you saw opportunity somewhere else, you'd go. And I think that's one of the things that happens when you move overseas is that your horizons are just so broadened. Like, you know, my wife and I will be in Bali by the time this comes out. And the reason we were open to Bali is because we literally were looking everywhere. Exactly. You know, wh- where could the next opportunity be? We're not limited to our neighborhood or our state or even our region of exactly. a country. You could literally go everywhere. And it can be, that's the, gets back to the whole it being overwhelming thing. When you have, when you can literally do anything you want or go anywhere you want, how do you even begin to figure that out? It, it, Definitely was. I mean, the first place when I first moved to China and we met and we dated, I said, "How? Do, what do you think about the Middle East? How do you feel about the Middle East? Dubai, Abu Dhabi?" And he said, "Oh yeah, I'm into it." And I said, "Okay." And for a while, that's that was the plan or that was the idea. It was just an idea. But now, you know, a few years later, I'm I'm thinking California, and, and he at first he was like, "How? Why? When? Where?" And me being the salesperson that I am, it took me months to be like, this is why, and this is why, and let me send you this website, let me send you this story. And and then he came to California a second time, and he was like, all right, you win, you're right, okay, yes, I agree. And I said, told you, motherfucker, shit. <laughs> you closed the sale. <laughs> and I closed it, and it was great. And now he's and and now now he he probably will say, oh yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited. Where before he was like, no. And now he he's he's on board. So that makes me happy because I know that it's like we said, it's not easy to move abroad. It's it's scary and it's a huge challenge and it's not for everyone. And it's it takes a lot. Um, it takes a special person to, you know, especially if you're going alone. I feel like when you're going with someone, it's a little bit easier because, you know, you have a, your support system already in place with your partner. But when you go alone, it's it's much it's scary. I don't disagree with you at all, but it's it's funny to say that because we both did it, and I don't look back in it and think that it was scary, even though it was. Like I kind of think back to it was exciting. It was it was exciting. I think back to when I first moved overseas, and I think about how the scariest moment I had was in a convenience store, and I realized I didn't know how to read any of the labels, and I didn't know what was edible. Like, I didn't know, I would literally have to buy something and just try to eat it. You know, I mean, I was pretty sure it was food, but I was like, I didn't know what was in it. I didn't know. (laughs) I just had to try it and eat it. And I realized if I, and and I couldn't ask for it in English. I could, there was no translation apps. There was Mm -hmm. nothing. So, but I feel like it is scary. And at the same time, more and more people are doing it. Like the, the number of people living overseas, as we talk about so often in this podcast, the number of people living overseas is just growing so quickly. Some of it is driven by um, civil unrest. Some of it is driven by war. There's refugees. But that is only one small part of it. There's just a n- raw number of people who are moving overseas. is just exploding. By choice, yeah. By choice. You know, sometimes they don't have a lot of agency. Sometimes they're choosing to leave one situation to go to another where they're not, they don't have the advantages. That is true. But even the people who are coming from richer countries who have more agency, that number is increasing. And the fact that more and more people are doing it, even though it's so difficult, it really just boggles the mind. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. It's it's badass. Like living abroad is the best. I would, I mean... I, and this is bad, but I tell this to my partner all the time. I'm like, if I die tomorrow, I would have no regrets because I've done, I feel like I've done so much. I'm only in my early thirties, but I feel like I've seen so much of the world. And of course there's so much more to see, but I'm happy that I made this decision to live abroad because I think I've grown exponentially. I mean, that would make me like hundreds of year old, hundreds of years old, but I've grown so much in just these 10 years abroad. I don't think I would have grown that much had I stayed 
in at home in California. Well, as someone who's living abroad and will be living abroad for the foreseeable future, when someone like you says they're going back to their home country, there's something that makes me like, no, we can't lose that person. I'll be back. <laughs> I know I'll you'll be, be back. back. And I'm glad we're going to have you on the podcast. Pop Abroad, I'm excited for your show. And thank you so much for coming on to talk about it. Well, thank you for having me. Well, there you have it. Please check out the show notes for links to more information about my guest and to reach out with questions, feedback, and interview suggestions. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave us a like on your favorite podcatcher. Migratory Patterns is a production of Migration Media and is executive produced by me. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.